All right. So first off, we got to do a couple of things here. Um, one, um, first of all, everyone, welcome back to the Dr. Lee Unhinged podcast, where we talk about all things related to skincare and just life in general. If you've seen our previous episodes, sometimes you get relationship advice as well. We've had some chaotic weeks going on. We just got back from the American Academy of Dermatology Conference in New Orleans. Dr. Maxfield, tell us what that is. So the American Academy of Dermatology is one of the world's largest, if not the world's largest gathering of dermatologists where collectively everybody of comes. people ever. People, yeah, people ever. No, I'm pretty sure Comic-Con has us beat. <laughs> I've never been. But anyway, so the best, the world's brightest, biggest names, dermatologists all over the world get together. We learn, we share ideas. We actually get to see a lot of products. You know what's interesting this year? There was a lot of over-the-counter products present in the, uh, there's this central hub where all of the vendors are. So a lot of over-the-counter products, a lot of prescription, new data products, a lot of new devices, and everyone's there to learn also to socialize, network, and something that happens every year. Yeah, so we were out there, Dr. Maxfield and I, day one, we found ourselves on a float <laughs> in New Orleans with a marching band and dancers and 100 dermatologists throwing sunscreen into the crowded streets of New Orleans. And I thought to myself, how did we get here? <laughs> but we were there. And we, we were doing that. <laughs> so uh, chaotic week in New Orleans. It was a great time. Like Dr. Maxfield said, we saw a lot of our colleagues, but we also learned about a lot of the, the greatest and greatest things that have come out over the past few years. Um, and so now we're back and well rested. And today we're going to start off the podcast by talking about this new trend called de-influencing. What is it? All right. So de-influencing. Is this even real? We'll go there. But de-influencing is this idea idea that by i don't know where you, where you say something that's genuine and that's supposed to be different than everything else you've probably ever said on social media that this is supposed to be like a non-sponsored non-influenced take and you're putting an idea out there and influencing somebody else oh, but you're not influencing somebody else by telling them your opinion on a given subject yeah so yeah i think it's crap mostly uh you know <laughs> first of all i, I think that it's basically supposed to be so de-influencing is supposed to be basically a hot take on something that maybe other people have hyped up and then you come in and say, well, you know what? I don't think you need this. And isn't that what influencing is in the first place? Isn't de-influencing just a way to influence, but in a negative way? You say, hey, I'm not going to use this product, but use this product instead. Isn't that what we've always been doing since the very beginning, except now we're calling it de-influencing? In fact, the brands have already started picking up de-influencing <laughs> and started posting branded content about de-influencing, which is the it. opposite concept. So I don't know. I don't see this thing going very far because it's really just turned in another way to promote products in my mind. Yeah, exactly. I, it's just so paradoxical and uh, it's you know it's funny because i think they're trying again to be genuine and have a hot take but it's almost disingenuous in and of itself to get on there and say hey here's what you should do i'm not telling you what to do i'm not influencing you to make this decision but here's what you should do and i just always have found it very unoriginal i I've, i also just i don't know I, very, I dislike this i can't say it eloquently because there's not a good word for it, but I really dislike this trend. I haven't done it. If I de-influence anything, I think I was going to de-influence myself. Maybe I'll just do that, like just uh, um, like, like do it my own videos. Yeah, like don't listen to me when I say this, or like just just rip on myself because I feel like that's the only appropriate way to do it is just like right. maybe just crack jokes on yourself because we're all a little ridiculous on social media, and that's okay. But I think that's the only place for it. Right, right. To have some self-deprecating humor about influencing in general. Yeah, mm -hmm. to me, I mean, I think that there is some, it's just not genuine in some ways, right? Or at least, I mean, maybe it started that way. And like all things, it takes its own commercial turn. <laughs> so I don't, I don't really know what that is. But to me, it's not coming off as very authentic. We've always said, hey, don't use this, use this instead. And by saying that, we are influencing people. And just to now say we're de-influencing people, I don't think it really changes what people have been doing in the past. Right. And the people that are de-influencing are all our traditional influencers already that, you know, 
historically have made careers out of influencing. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, I, I thought about posting something about de-influencing and things not to use, but I figured like I've been doing that for the last two and a half years and I'm really truly just influencing people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. I don't, again, nothing too exciting there. Nothing real original with that. Right. Um, so another one we're not too thrilled about. Uh, the next topic we're going to talk about is the TikTok ban. Again, very popular uh, in the U.S. Ju judicial and legal systems right now. So TikTok apparently is going to get banned again by the government <laughs> due to it being a security risk. And this happened for the first time. I don't know, maybe it's been two years ago uh, when President Trump tried to do the same thing. And then eventually it was resolved because Oracle bought a portion of the data or something like that to basically say, hey, it's not a security threat. A US-based company now owns some of the security and we should be okay. I think that's how it was resolved. Uh, but again, it's becoming very popular. Seems to always happen around election time, conveniently, uh, that we want to ban TikTok. So um, what are your thoughts on this? All right. So I do remember the first time this came up because you were you were young in your TikTok game. You were still established and prominent, but you were still younger. And it was stressful because it's like, oh, crap, what's going to happen? Like this platform that I've really just grown to love um, was about to be taken away. It really looked like it at the time. I really thought it actually might back then. Um, mm -hmm. Now, uh, this is a very slippery slope. And here's why. So TikTok, let's say... The, da the data security is an issue. I have no real strong opinion as to whether or not this is true. I have no idea. I'm not sure really anyone has a good grasp on what they're collecting, where it's going, and what they would do with it. And I think everybody individually is kind of like, well, who cares? Like, what? who cares if they know whatever about me? There's nothing about me that's special. Like, why would they even want to really look into it? So I don't know if people feel like they're really exposed in a way that maybe they are. Um, but I honestly have no idea, like, what's the significance of my information being out there? Because with AI, too, I mean, for the videos we've shot, I am very confident from all of the audio takes that they have and all of the video takes that they have that they could, someone could create an audio visual of you and I doing absolutely anything. And I think people in the general public would not know the difference. So I already feel like we're in a vulnerable place. And I'm not sure my information as far as like my daily habits makes me any more vulnerable yeah so i think that there are obviously other motivations that we probably will never be privy to and maybe that's a little bit like what of a conspiracy theory well i think that tiktok is very influential a lot of people use it a lot of people watch it it's very difficult to control the information on tiktok because of the way that the algorithm is built content that's engaging ends up going viral. And so if you're a political party or you're in a position of power, the fact that somebody in any part of the country with a phone can create a viral video that maybe opposes your belief system is dangerous. And so I, I think that they don't like the fact that it's very difficult to control TikTok versus the other platforms where the government has a lot of control over. I think that for TikTok, it's, it's, for, it's not as easy to control. And so I think that there's probably reasons why people don't want TikTok to exist in the United States. Um, so to me, I don't like that. Now, if that's, if that's true, if that's true, isn't it interesting that both parties have attempted to do this now? I don't know. We're not going to go down the political rabbit trail here. It's not something we do. But I just think it's interesting now that this has fallen under two different presidencies, different groups, and this has somehow come on the radar of both um, mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, I mean, I think the proposal is that one, it's a national security concern because it's a Chinese company and the government controls it. And then the second thing is that there's a privacy concern piece to this. But like you mentioned, like our privacy is already been given up by a lot of the platforms we use, whether that's just searching for something on Google, visiting any website. I mean, all the cookies and, and data they gather are iPhones, the data that they gather on them, our use of Facebook on Instagram. And we actually know for a fact that there was in the past, I mean, they've made entire documentaries, exposés on this, that the other platforms, 
Twitter, Facebook have all been influenced by government, foreign government organizations, or not even just foreign government organizations, but by political parties that are trying to somehow create propaganda to promote their cause. And so I think that this has been done on every platform. I just don't see how TikTok is any different. And as far as privacy concerned go, I think, think the same thing. I think how is it any different than anything else that's out there? I mean, Facebook gathers tons of data on us and there's always concerns over that. And if you really are concerned about your data, I think that you really can't use any of the platforms. I don't think that TikTok is unique in any way compared to the other platforms. But I just do think that there, I mean, there's influence on TikTok that people don't want others to see. That being said, um, how does that affect us within the Durham community? You know, actually they've done studies on TikTok that have shown that the information on TikTok is much more educational than the TikTok, the, the information found on other platforms like Instagram or Facebook, where they found that to be more promotional content and TikTok to be more non-promotional educational content um, compared to other platforms. So I think that people benefit tremendously from the content they learn on TikTok from a Durham perspective. Um, obviously there's a lot of negative stuff on TikTok as well, so it's not all good. So, <laughs> yeah, good. uh, but you know, for me, you know, since then, since the first TikTok ban, when I first started creating content, you know, we've started creating content on other platforms, YouTube, Instagram, our podcast. And so I still think that information would get out there to the people that were seeking it out. So I'm not as concerned, um, from my platform standpoint anymore, but I just, I don't really see the purpose of banning TikTok at this point. It's a very mature platform with a lot more safeguards than when it first started. And if you talk about chaos, uh, there's much more chaos on Reddit <laughs> and Instagram, um, Snapchat than, than anything I've seen on TikTok, in fact. Yeah, I, it's a, it may, that may be true. That, that may be true. Reddit's kind of a, a black hole of information. Now, I mean, the TikTok <laughs> educational space is there too, where you ask some of the information. There's a lot of information there. It's almost just like Google. There's a lot of information mm -hmm. there. A lot of educational information there. A lot of wrong educational information there. So I'm not sure if it's a huge, I don't know if it's like a giant net positive, but I do agree that it's probably a net positive in some sense. I know a lot of doctors on there um, do put forward a lot of helpful information. And I think a lot of people actually are receptive to that. I think it's actually helped a lot of people hear from professionals and medical professionals where they probably would have never really interacted with them in another way. Now, the slippery slope of all of this, though, and it, it, it's if if the government decides to ban TikTok, if this goes away, what else is fair game and when? Because I again, I'm kind of with you. I'm not 100% sold on the idea that there's anything unique to TikTok that warrants it being removed while the other platforms are present. And so I do think that if this is gone, if for some reason they find a way to justify this, I think anything, any app on your phone and any other platform is also under threat to a i guess whatever like we said whatever political party anyone in power wanting to remove any opposition to the message they're spreading so i think it's i think it could be a problem if it goes yeah i mean i was against it then i'm against it now i don't care which political party is in power at the time i think that you know i think it's a desire to control information that the public sees and i find that our audience is smart. You know, the people that um, consume content should be able to decide themselves who they want to listen to and who they don't want to listen to. And I don't think, I think that social media, and maybe this is a chaotic thing to say, I don't know. I think that social media is freedom of speech. You know, it's our ability to speak freely to the world, right? And so just like you can stand on a corner of any street and pretty much say what you want, to some extent within reason um, on social media within the same sort of reasons, I think that you should be able to speak, right? And so TikTok to me is a way for people to speak and express themselves and find communities and learn and engage. And of course there needs to be safeguards, especially to protect children on these apps. But at the same time, I do think it's an expression of free speech. And I felt that always about Twitter. I've always felt that about Instagram, Facebook, not a political statement it's just that like you said what comes next and who decides right so that's one of the bigger concerns that i have is who decides what we should see and what we shouldn't see and do those people have our best interests in mind 
that to me is a, a bigger question and I don't know if we'll ever know the answer to that. So <laughs> that's as political as I go. <laughs> so let, let's talk about another topic, uh, more in our wheelhouse, which is M-Face. What is M-Face? So, all right, I'm going to let you fill us in on M-Face, but if this is, I think, the follow-up to a previous device called M-Sculpt. And that one I have even more personal uh, and I don't remember if you were there. So M-Sculpt, we'll go back to its predecessor. This was an abs machine. It's the world's most expensive abs machine, perhaps. And I don't remember how much it costs per session. I think it's only like $500 a session. You go in, they slap some devices on you, and it contracts your muscles stronger than you could have ever contracted it physiologically. And at the time, the proposal was that not only will it strengthen your muscles, but it will irreversibly destroy your fat cells as well. And I think they lost that latter part of their medical claim over time, which is one of the reasons why you probably shouldn't get on any device trend early. But anyway, I think that fell off. We were able to try that out at our office. I don't remember if you were there or not. I wasn't there when you tried it, but it was the year after I was there. Oh, okay. So yeah, they, uh, I tried the M-Sculpt. Um, the, a lot of people said it felt like labor. I don't have that second side of it. It wasn't too bad. Um, I did. I was pretty excited about it. I think it was promising. I think the technology was a little bit unique. But again, it's fallen out of favor. And I don't know if it really delivered, especially on all of the points that it was supposed to. Now, I'll let you take over for M-Face. And where is this technology gone now? Yeah. So, you know, kind of what you were saying basically is that this is basically a technology where they put this device pads, um, talking about specifically on M-Sculpt is when they put these pads on the skin, uh, which use high intensity electromagnetic stimulation to basically stimulate your muscles to contract in order to tighten, tighten the muscles and apparently then burn fat in the process. So basically it's the idea is like you did a thousand sit-ups or something like that when you place this device on your body for 20 minutes. And so in lieu of working out, for those of us who don't work out, you could get rock shredded sculpted abs by using this device for 20 minutes in the office um okay let's not even talk about whether or not it works because i think people had some disappointing results with this one it's not practical it's extremely expensive um it's it's prohibitively expensive to get this treatment done on the professional side of things the device is prohibitively expensive for offices i think they were trying to charge upwards of $300,000 for the device. And then I think they were charging like $4,000 for a treatment package or $5,000 for a treatment package. So prohibitively expensive treatment when a gym membership is obviously much less expensive and has more proven long-term cardiovascular benefits. So yeah, maybe if you're trying to target stubborn areas where you can't you know, burn fat or you can't develop abs, maybe it's beneficial in those groups of people. But I'll tell you this, uh, I know a lot of plastic surgeons that have M-Sculpt, none of them have abs themselves. Oh. So I'll tell you that, I'll tell you if it was working the way it was supposed to, you know, and I know they say, don't get high on your own supply. However, if I had an M-Sculpt and it really worked, I'd be shredded, I'll tell you that much. So um, unless you see these, these plastic surgeons pulling their shirts up themselves to show you their abs, I would be slightly skeptical. That being said, um, I think a lot of derms and plastic surgeons lost money on this yeah. pro uh, product and it wasn't very popular in the end, though they did have a big marketing campaign probably around the time that you tested it. It very quickly fell out of favor. Um, it was a lost investment for a lot of practices. They ended up having to sell the devices back at you know, one-tenth of the cost, so it ended up not being a great investment. Same company comes out with M-Face. So M-Face uses this high-intensity facial electromagnetic stimulation to stimulate the muscles in the face, um, and it combines that technology with radio frequency now. So we're using radio frequency plus this high frequency, high, uh, this high electromagnetic stimulation, apparently to sculpt, tone, and lift the face. So first, um, let's talk about radio frequency. So radio frequency, this might be my favorite part of the tech here. Um, I'm, I'm a big proponent for radio frequency. It uses a very select heat, uh, or temperature rather, that delivers the heat deeper. So unlike traditional devices, even like laser, well, not laser, but like other devices where 
the problem is the epidermis like the heat gets concentrated in the epidermis that causes a lot of the damage with these devices like where that's why you can't use them for darker skin tones that's where you got burns on the skin but radio frequency delivers that energy and that thermal energy deeper into the skin maximally and then the least amount of it is actually on the top of the skin so it's a lot safer for darker skin tones there's a lot a lot of data behind it has a lot of benefits for rejuvenation um, and i think it complements well with other things so we see it in the setting of radio frequency and microneedling that's just two very complementing different technologies again to help with aging skin um, again helps with a myriad of different things and now i'm trying to picture like how it is this the perfect duo this m school this this electricity device, this electrical device, plus radio frequency. And I don't really know if it delivers because as good as radio frequency is for the face, I don't think the counter side of this is really what you're wanting out of something for your face. I mean, how lazy are we that like, okay, so the selling point for M-Sculpt is that, yes, okay, you don't have to go to the gym anymore. You don't have to do anything. Like while you're listening to a podcast, you can just have- I'll, I'll speak, I'll answer the question, how lazy are we? <laughs> Me, very lazy. If there was something I could do to not have to go to the gym um, as a non-gym goer, I would do it as long as it didn't cost $5,000. That being said, I don't know that, yes, like you look better when you have abs probably, but like what about all the other cardiovascular benefits of right. like actually lifting and getting your heart rate Um to your whatever target heart rate is and how that is for your cardiovascular help so so like you may have abs but you're gonna be pretty mushy on the inside i think oh yeah that's why i talk about when i talk about exercise i talk about the whole whole body of it because there's so many people i think you see a lot of older guys in the gym who have large muscles and then they die of a heart attack at age 55 it's you definitely need the whole complementary side of this but for the lazy person, I don't lazy person, for the person who doesn't want to exercise, make it part of the routine, for the Dr. Shaw's of the world. Okay, so the M-Sculpt is your out for exercise. You don't have to exercise for the cosmetic appearance. Of it. But the M-Sculpt thing, the counterside to the, the M-Face thing, rather, the counterside to this would be facial yoga and facial exercise. And is, is that really that energy intensive that you need a device to spare you from something that I actually don't really believe in? Um, I don't believe the benefits are that profound to begin with for the facial exercise. Now you have a device to do it for you. And I'm sure, again, the cost is probably prohibitive. And I would, I would venture, and I'm going to put it forward here. We'll see how it plays out with time. I don't think it's going to be worth the money for the results that you would get. Yeah, I think a few people, I've seen some reviews where people say they used it and they liked it. Here's my 30-second bit on M-Face. Radio frequency plus stimulation of your muscles. Yes, we like radio frequency, but when you look at the radio frequency devices that we use, whether they're Morpheus 8 or the device that I have at my office, they use microneedling and at the tips of the microneedles, they put radio frequency, not throughout the entire length of the needle. And the reason why is that you want that radio frequency targeted deeper into the skin so that you don't get hyperpigmentation and heat being produced at the epidermal layer of the skin because people with darker skin tones can get hyperpigmentation from that. So I don't necessarily like radio frequency just being applied at the layer of the epidermis, though there are benefits to it, I will agree. It's just maybe not as safe as radio frequency with microneedling at the tips. Uh, that being said, that's the radio frequency piece. The contraction of the muscle piece is how I've always felt about contraction of the muscle in the face is that the data over time, they've MRI'd faces of people that have aged. They MRI'd people that were in their 20s. They did MRIs of people in their 50s. And the MRIs have shown, regardless of age, the muscle mass does not change with age in the face. So when people start to look older, it's not because they lost muscle mass, it's because their fat compartments have changed, that the, 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 the concentration of fat uh, in the skin has changed, that they've lost collagen and, and all those things, right? So, so, so it's not contributing to aging. So why are we so excited about making these muscles stronger? And the odd thing I've seen about it in some articles is that people are using it to, to uh, basically like work the lower jaw and work the work other parts of the face when then I have patients coming in to ask me to get you know Botox into their masseter muscles <laughs> to sort of thin the face at the corners of the face where this is going to bulk it so it's doing by the way so you know 
Strengthening the muscles in the face is doing exactly the opposite of what neuromodulators, Botox, Dysport, Zeomin, Juvo are doing for the face, which is weakening the muscles in the face so that you don't get wrinkles. So to me, these two things seem counterproductive. Can you imagine if you got M-Face and Botox, <laughs> how counterproductive those things would be? However, if you're the practitioner doing these things, you'd be in an endless cycle of cash flow because you would you would you would get rid of the botox then you would <laughs> you would strengthen the face and then you would weaken the muscles and then you would strengthen the face and you'd be in this constant money making circle uh, i'm not a fan uh, i don't think that this is going to be popular how about a little botox on top and and face on the bottom for like a, a reverse hourglass look <laughs> yeah that would be kind of more of a masculine look i would argue then it would um you know stronger jawline you know, no muscle. Yeah. I mean, I think that that could be nice. It could lift. Um, but again, I don't think doing a procedure for 20 minutes, muscular stimulation, it's just not how people exercise over time. Like this is not biological. This is not human nature to work out for 20 minutes once a month, essentially is what's happening here. And then not do anything for a month. Like, I just don't think that that's like a natural way to do anything, right? And you probably will see an immediate benefit with this treatment because if you did stimulate the muscles a lot really fast, you are going to get like muscular hypertrophy. You are going to get swelling of those muscles. And so probably immediately afterwards, you do notice an improvement in the lift and tone and look of your muscles in your face, um, which may be something that you like the way it looks, but I just don't think that's something that's going to be have long-term or sustainable benefits. Because if you think about it, you're going to have to do this forever, Right? There's never going to be a world where you're just able to do this. Now, this is, I think they're doing, you have to do, they're saying 20-minute treatments, four treatments um, per package, so and about $4,000 or about $1,000 per treatment. So you're going to be doing once a month, $1,000 a month, once a month. Um, I just don't see it being something that is becoming very popular amongst most people. You know, there'll be a niche yeah, group okay. of people that will will like this, but I don't think this is becoming massively popular amongst the average person. Yeah, it's prohibitively expensive. I, I'm with you. Um, I don't think this is going to take off. Uh, I think we would all like that machine that does our work for us when it comes to anything in life. Kind of, kind of comes back to the convenience thing, actually. <laughs> um, but I don't think this is going to be the answer that people are looking for, not only because of the price, but also, again, because it's really niche in how it can perhaps create a more masculine look, but wouldn't compensate for the aging, like you said. Right. It just seems that we have too many counterproductive. When we talk about the aging face and we know what happens at the biological level with aging, everything about this device to me seems counterintuitive to what we know about aging. And add that counterintuitiveness to the prohibitive cost and you will find someone who's not a big fan of this device. <laughs> so that's that's where I'm at. Yeah, I'm with you. You know what's funny too is the idea of facial massage and not facial massage, facial exercise. Um, we everyone's exercising their face all day. We're doing it while we talk. We're expressive. Like again, it's the opposite of Botox. Every time we smile, every time we make an expression, we're moving those muscles, contracting those muscles. They never stop. So uh, yeah, you're doing this every day. I wouldn't go out and spend a pretty penny. If you chew gum, mm. do you think you can make your jawline? more prominent yeah i do um they're not only gum but they're i do too there's you do see? i do too yeah there's other devices yeah, yeah, yeah. too they're like our little rubber things you put in your mouth and you just chew on it over and over and i think that would give you the same effect i do i, I don't think you're gonna i've seen some people try to sell those like chewing things that you put in your mouth yeah, i don't know what they're called you're probably not great for your teeth but that being said <laughs> i've seen people put those in their mouth and then claim to get like these huge like chad type jaw lines <laughs> I, I think that's probably impractical but i do think that exercising your jaw would probably lead to a stronger jawline in general i mean we do have those muscles of mastication the masseter muscles that do give you that more square angle of the jaw and so by working those out you could potentially you could potentially create a stronger jawline. I just don't think M-Face is going to be the way to do it. All right, deal. Now, deal. speaking of the aging face, so there's some of the requests we have are related to like, how what do you do for your skin as you get older? What do you do for skin after a certain age? And there was a, there's an interesting article here. It's habits you should stop by 30 that your skin will thank you for. 
And I think this is actually pretty interesting because I know I didn't take great care of my skin up until probably my early 20s. In fact, I probably took horrendous care of my skin up until my early 20s. And so I'm curious as to what's on this list that they think you've got some leeway or at least to to stop by 30 and where that gets you. Yeah, no, good question. So about the 30, about the aging face, I I think that I didn't start taking care of my skin until my late 20s, actually. So you had a little bit of a head start uh, for me on this, which is surprising. It is. Um, But but (laughs) that being said, this article is coming out of goodyco.com. And it's about the changes you need to make at the age of 30, which, by the way, I, mm-hmm. I really want everyone to to take this away from this conversation, which is your skin isn't like waking up one day and saying, hey, I'm 30. Just so you know, things are changing <laughs> today, right? Uh, it's a gradient. Our life is on this continuous aging course, right? So, you know, I've heard these room, this, this statistic that, you know, by 30, you know, you're this this your cell turnover decreases by xyz percent right and yeah on average by 30 but it's not like at 30 right that this is happening right so this is you know your your biological clock is always ticking and that starts from day one and continues onward right so so 30 is not the hard cutoff but the basically the idea is what do you what do you do as you start getting older essentially and 30 being that cutoff of, of, you know, when things need to change. Let's talk about that specifically. So let's go to this article and I'll just, Dr. Maxwell, ask you if you think these are things that you should be changing in your 30. And if not, like, what should you be changing? So the first thing that they mentioned here is that you should be in your 30s starting to wash your face every night. Now, is this something that is just for your 30s or is this something that everybody would benefit from? Well, okay. This this is why I love this art. This is why I love this topic. Yeah, if you are thirty and you're washing your face for the first time, that in and of itself is kind of a feat. I mean, I know they said nightly, um, but yeah, you should be doing this in your thirties. You should be doing this before your thirties. I this is something I again didn't do until my mid twenties, probably. I don't know, it's earlier mid twenties. It's all a blur. But he just started brushing his teeth too. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> you know I rely on genetics heavily. <laughs> but no, I think washing your face, yes, you should do it when you're 30. You should do it when you're younger. Um, and it, it does actually kind of amazing how many pe- people feel like they don't need to wash their face at all. Um, it, but it does really help remove the grime, debris, oil, dirt, pollution, all of the environmental factors that get on your face throughout the day. Now, now, do you need to wash it twice a day? That's up for debate. I, I am going to say probably not everybody needs to do that but i think a once a day wash is helpful and especially if you're putting anything on your face like sunscreen makeup products uh, then i think it becomes a non-negotiable yeah i agree and, and and i would also take it one step further and say most of the time makeup is not good for your skin uh, most of the, most of them have very occlusive ingredients and those occlusive ingredients are clogging your pores a lot of times and there has been a revolution in makeup that has more skincare-based ingredients in them, and I'm very welcoming of that change. But as of right now, it's probably not good to leave your makeup on all day. So I would challenge most of you to remove your makeup as soon as you get home and not right before you go to bed. So a lot of you are going to get home at 5 or 6 o'clock after work or after an event, in which case removing your makeup as soon as you get home versus 9, 10 p.m. when you're going to bed is probably going to be beneficial for your skin, especially if you're using good ingredients right afterwards. So I would challenge people to remove their makeup and cleanse their face sooner in the night than you know waiting till the end of the day to do that. So um, that's one tip that I have. And then let's go through the next um, the next thing here, which is they're saying in your 20s, in your 30s, you shouldn't use the same products that you're using in your 20s. And they say specifically you should be using vitamin A, vitamin C, and polysaccharides instead of ingredients that control your acne. What are your thoughts on that? Okay. Well, um, yes and no. So the yes part of it is, yeah, your skincare will age with you. So while a lot of people will grow out of their acne at some point in their life, not everybody, certainly not everybody, but a lot of people will, then yes, you should probably stop doing a dedicated acne routine and transition into maybe a more photo aging photo protection routine now the now the reason i'm kind of like saying well 
you don't need to change it is that the tretinoin, the vitamin A, that's that's got longevity, right? So that's your best ingredient for acne. That's also your best ingredient for photoaging. So by all means, you should continue that. And, and I guess the council talks about the question is when should you start that photoaging routine? There's a lot of people out there who are like, should I be using uh, some of these ingredients for dark spots or hyperpigmentation, texture, fine lines? And they're like in their early, early teens. And I think that's probably too early to be doing much for photoaging. But in your early 20s, I think that's when you could incorporate the vitamin C, exfoliants, things like that to kind of help with your skin. Yeah, you know, honestly, I think that vitamin C is an ingredient that you could probably benefit from if you can tolerate it at a younger age, because a lot of the benefits I see from vitamin C, sure, it's a cofactor for collagen production. Sure, it helps with pigmentation. I like it really for its antioxidant benefits. And so because antioxidants are offsetting free radical damage that can really occur at any age from sun exposure, from pollution, I think that you could probably get away with a vitamin C in your 20s. I don't think it's something yeah. that you have to introduce in your 30s. And I think that people that have acne are going to benefit from retinol in their teens. I think that people with pigmentation and texture issues are going to benefit from retinol in their 20s. And then I think people that are trying to fight off wrinkles and fine lines and aging signs, they're going to benefit from retinol in their 30s. And so I think it kind of goes back to what we always talk about, which is deliberate skincare. And yes, every ingredient is not beneficial at every point in your life, but it could be if you're using it for the right reasons. And so I don't really see a timeline for any of these ingredients as as far as, you know, particularly anti-aging. I, I think then we could talk more specifically about when would you introduce something like a Botox mm-hmm. into your routine. I think that becomes more age appropriate when you start forming real etched in wrinkles, which is usually in your late 20s, early 30s for most people. Um, of course, you don't ever need to do Botox. Um, actually, you don't ever need to do any of these things <laughs> yeah, except for like- wear sunscreen, um, which goes into the next topic. Uh, on this list, which they says say in your 30s, you should stop skipping sunscreen. Yeah, that's way too late. So I, this is a good point for this statistic. There is a study that is in some of our derm literature, and I think it said that 30% of your sun damage occurs by age 30. And it's supposed to be the, I'm like, okay, well, that's not that novel. It basically means that it's all cumulative. You get 1% of year of your life if you live to be 100. But that means that if you don't wear sunscreen in your 30s, till your 30s, like a lot of people, um, then yes, you are going to, I mean, you, you've got a 30% more sun damage than you should have or could have if you had just started earlier. I mean, sunscreen really, if it's going to do the bulk of the work in protecting your skin, it should be started I mean, really in childhood, but like how much of that is on the kids, you know? So I, I would say as soon as you're cognizant, self-aware and can make rational decisions, sunscreen would be a good option. Right. So sunscreen really at any age is going to be beneficial of course if you're in your 30s and you haven't started using sunscreen then of course now is the time to introduce sunscreen never too late never too late uh, but also never too early so sunscreen should be started as early as possible so yeah like i agree definitely sunscreen is important in your 30s but you know early early sunburns can lead to cancer so definitely sunscreen anytime the next thing on this list is going overboard with skincare products so in your 20s a lot of people do quite a bit for their skin, but as you approach your thirties, they're saying not to do too much. I mean, does that, I don't know. Is that a 30 rule? No, I think that's a, it's just a personal choice. Like I, I don't remember when we were talking about this, but yeah, if you want to have an abundant and eccentric skincare routine, by all means, God bless, enjoy. Um, along with that though, comes price tags and probably more exposure to allergens. But a simple routine can be sufficient for anyone at any age. Uh, 30 is not a marker for anything special. Totally agree. Um, so again, all of these are pretty much age agnostic at this point. So just stick with them. The next one is not drinking enough water. So you're saying in your 20s, you may not be drinking enough water. However, in your 30s, make sure that you're drinking enough water. Your skin will thank you later. What are your thoughts on that? I'm not, I wonder, I'm not sure we fall on the same side of the coin on the water thing. I think it's overhyped and it's hard to say that drinking water is overhyped, but I think people tout drinking water as a remedy for a lot of medical and skin medical conditions. Mm. Whereas 
I think, a sufficient amount of water, which is also a controversial topic because that recommendation has changed over the course of my life, um, is enough. I don't know if that drinking a ton of water is actually as helpful as people think it is. I know it's very in vogue. Most of the MAs walking around my office have a gallon of water with them at any given moment. I don't know how they work with the frequency in which they have to pee. But uh, it's very popular right now. I think drinking an adequate amount of water is sufficient throughout your life and uh, just a normal amount of water. And I don't know if you have to go overboard or really adjust it much between decades. Yeah, I completely agree with that, actually. I First of all, I think it's obviously detrimental to people who are suffering from skin conditions for people to just say, hey, you're just not drinking enough water, so therefore you have acne. I think that's obviously a ridiculous proposition. People <laughs> that drink tons of water are obviously still going to suffer from acne. It's not a problem of dehydration there. And like we've said in the past, your kidneys tightly regulate your water homeostasis in the body. Therefore, drinking more water usually just leads you to pee more and not drinking enough water usually leads you to retaining more water in the body. Um, I do think that you need to drink some water, um, (laughs) otherwise you'll die. And I do personally, from my own anecdotal experience, feel that when I'm drinking more water, not like eight glasses of water, but three, four glasses of water a day, I tend to feel better. I also tend to drink more water when I'm exercising. So they probably end up going hand in hand for me is that I'm drinking more water during periods of my life where I'm exercising more often. And so it's hard to know if it's a causal relationship or it's just, you know, correlated as a result of me exercising. That being said, I don't think that it's going to make a huge difference in your skin. However, I think that you should be drinking an adequate amount of water um, just for your overall health in general. Yeah. Water. I don't know what it is with, and it's not even just the general public. It seems like there's a lot of people who find themselves or consider themselves medical experts drumming, wait, banging on the water drum. And it's as if the kidneys don't exist. Like it's as if the kidneys do nothing or are not in our bodies because yes, they are extremely functional. They completely regulate our water supply. And I think the number from from our physiology book, the amount, the minimum amount of water required to intake to filter out the toxins in our body is small as something between like 600 and 800 milliliters um, per day. And that's a tiny amount, but that's a minimum amount that you need. Um, but uh, yeah, the kidneys do a lot, a lot of work. Right. Kidney, most important organ in the body. It is. Um, most complicated organ in the body too. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Studying nephrology. Yeah. Very challenging. So, The next thing on this list here is sleeping on your side. So they're saying once you enter your 30s, you should avoid sleeping on your side if you really want to look your best because sleeping on your side contributes to the development of fine lines and wrinkles. What are your thoughts? So the first thing is how do we justify this? Is it the smush effect? Are they saying that because of gravity and your face is pressed against the pillow, it's smushing it and creating wrinkles? I think that's all they've got to go on. I'm not a believer in this. I think you can. I think you could. I think you could sleep on your face if you want to, and you would probably be fine. But uh, <laughs> I don't think it's a big player. Not just personally. I'm not. A, mm. I don't buy it. Yeah, um, I'm not against this theory that sleeping on the side of your face leads to pressure on the face that could lead to what we call sleep lines. Or that it could, in fact, just change your facial appearance to some extent. I don't know. I mean, I think I sleep on my right side. Um, sorry, I sleep on my right side more. And my beard doesn't connect as well. So my, you know, theory. <laughs> you're, wait, you're blaming my, your sparse beard hair on your I pillow? am blaming my patchy beard oh, on my, that is my theory. Prove me wrong. conspiracy theory is that if you want a connected beard sleep on your back (laughs) you heard it here for no so really (laughs) really realistically i think they've actually done some studies on this which is kind of interesting i mean i think it does cause a smush effect on your face which could contribute to fine lines and wrinkles is that going to change my behavior in any way no you know what I mean? I'm so uncomfortable sleeping on my back or sleeping directly on my face <laughs> that I'll probably always sleep on my side. I don't know about you, but for me, 
I, I feel more comfortable on my side. So even if it did cause some degree of uh, sleep lines, I'd probably still do it anyway. Okay. All right. All right. So I'll, I'll, uh, I'm actually going to lean into your side a little bit here. Cause I'm thinking if you, if I don't know, maybe if you sleep and your face is truly scrunched like this, like your eyebrows are scrunched up or in some way you're creating lines for six hours a night while you sleep. But if some way, yeah, cause your mouth, don't your facial muscles move when you sleep too, though? Through Probably dream. not much. Not much. I don't know. I need to watch more people sleep, I guess. <laughs> but I don't know. Okay, sure. I'll, I'll say it's, it's possible. Like, hey, what are you doing here? Research. <laughs> Just watching people sleep. Just watching Listen. you sleep. That's it. Not a Dr. Maxfield ends up in the news for watching people sleep. Just know <laughs> he was doing research. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'll lean into it a little bit. I think it's possible. So, okay, sure. Possible. Possible. Yeah. I mean, I think if, yeah, maybe. The next thing is that in your 30s, that you should stop smoking, you should stop drinking, and you should sleep more. All right. I mean, okay, the smoking one doesn't get enough social media attention, and it, because it always comes across kind of judgmental. But smoking is one of the worst things a person can do for your body and absolutely for your skin. The aging effect on smoking is very apparent it does create a very prominent yellowing texture. It creates a lot of open comedones, a lot of dilated pores, a lot of, it can cause like retention of blackheads around the periorbital area, in my opinion. Um, it creates just very cavernous, deep lines, but it's just, it's just, it's just an outward manifestation of what it's doing on the inside. So I, I think the smoking thing, sure, I will buy into that heavily. It doesn't get talked about enough. Um, smoking not as popular in the united states as it is in other countries and, and so maybe that's why it doesn't get as much hype online the amount of smokers in the united states has decreased precipitously over the last 20 years um and gen z millennials don't smoke mm -hmm. nearly as much as the generations that came before and so it's probably why it's not as popular because people know it's not good for you that being said in europe it's still very popular to smoke and so, yeah, we can't, the, the benefits of not smoking cannot be understated. I mean, it's just, I, if you are smoking and there's one thing that you could change that would improve your skin the most, even more than sunscreen yeah. would be to stop smoking. In my opinion, I mean, the detrimental benefits of smoking I've seen so many times in my career back when I was studying to be a radiologist, the damages to the lungs, the resultant lung cancers, the resultant emphysema the scarring in the lungs that would occur as a result of smoking. And I'll draw, I'll, I'll take it one step further and say these e-cigarettes, hmm. this vaping, uh, juuling, just as bad in my mind. Um, okay, maybe maybe smoking uh, nicotine, car, um, tobacco is maybe, maybe worse, but marginally in my <laughs> mind than smoking a, a, a liquid aerosol that is somehow flavored and costs $1. So don't inhale anything except for air. <laughs> We're going to see something with the, the, what happens if we say weed or marijuana? Is that a problem? Do we need to believe that? But I don't know. So because marijuana smoking is becoming more prevalent in the U.S., because I'm looking at the numbers, yeah, it fell from like 40% to over maybe 15% of Americans smoking now from 1950 to now. But marijuana smoking is increasing significantly because of legality and socially you're still inhaling carbon particles. Like if you burn anything, burn any plant, you still are going to have an endpoint of carbon particle deposition and inflammation. So I do think that over the decades, we're going to get some similar results just by the raw basic fact you're burning and you're breathing in burnt up particles of just destroyed carbon. Hemp in skincare is interesting too. And then it's not like not, they're cannabinoids in skincare. I think that'd be the better term. There's some, there's a good amount of data behind it. And I right. think it's, uh, anecdotally, I think it's underperformed. And maybe we'll talk about that in depth one day, make like a that throwback to the 70s hemp or cannabinoid skincare day. But there's a lot of studies showing that it can be helpful for itch, can modulate inflammation, but it's very specific to each cannabinoid receptor. So it's not like, oh yeah, you just use a cannabinoid and it's going to help your skin. There was actually a good study with it done uh, when the setting of atopic dermatitis, and that's just one of many. But uh, I've really found that it underperforms in the real world. Um, I've, I've looked at the products. I've used a lot of the products very rarely. Actually, I'd say at this point, 
I want to, I'm almost going to drop like a never. I'm not sure I've ever had a patient tell me that that ingredient really made a big difference for them, whether it was dry or itchy skin or like pain or discomfort. So there's data on it. I don't think we're quite there and using it deliberately yet though. Yeah. I've read quite a bit of the data on CBD use and skincare. Some of it looks exciting. Some of it looks disappointing. I think it really is going to depend on the compound that it's, it's put in. And a lot of the CBD that we see being sold by a lot of this, like you see like CBD at gas stations and stuff like that, you know, touted in skincare products. A lot of times the base of that formula is going to be high, highly allergenic. A lot mm-hmm. of times it contain a lot of essential oils. It's unregulated, how much CBD is actually in it. So I think that I'd look forward to the day that there is a sort of standard of how we're going to compound this and extract this and put together products with CBD in them and whether or not those are beneficial. I'm definitely open to data coming out. But right now, uh, there's not a single CBD product that I would recommend that's out on the market. I even saw I even saw like CBD at the AAD. You did? Did you see that? No, I missed CBD. that. Missed oh, the there's CBD a whole booth. booth, CBD skincare at the AAD. I should have probably looked at what they were doing and see if there was anything <laughs> anything good coming out of that booth, but I didn't. Um, but it's even crossed over into dermatologic skincare apparently. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, they, you know where they got me at the AD. So okay, I don't know if you bought anything there. They got me with the back massagers. Some guy. Some oh, guy, you bought one? Ah, uh, yeah. He pulled me in and he put. How sorry, much did you pay? Oh, it was a lot. It was like four hundred. <laughs> but don't get so me wrong. Wait, hang on. Hear me <laughs> out. Hear me out. Hear me out. So you want to hear something crazy? So yeah. that same back massager company was at South by Southwest, which is a different conference that was in Austin two weeks before. Same company. Oh yeah. So we went up to that booth and they were selling that same back massager they tried it on us it was very powerful this thing was super powerful so they were like i'm like how much is it they said four hundred dollars and then i said mm, that's too expensive then they said oh could we could do it for 300 then i was like mm, nah, i'm not gonna get it um and i walked away and they were like 250 so i think you could have negotiated <laughs> not to ruin your day no you didn't because here's okay so here's the deal they also had a tens unit so like um my wife has back pain right and so i was like okay some people talking about tens units and so I was like, I liked the massager. It felt good. It was small, portable, blah, blah, blah. Loved it. And, but yeah, I was like, too expensive. How much is a TENS unit? And it was 300 bucks. And I have no idea what a good TENS unit costs. But I was like, nah, I don't know about that. All right, I'm going to call, I'm going to call my wife. And I walked away and he like froze and he paused. And then he's like, oh, okay, you got me. So anyway, they gave me both for 400. So that oh, was, so you got a good deal. So I you feel got like I deal. got a deal. I also feel like I got taken advantage of, but I also feel like I got a deal at the same time. <laughs> No, no, no. You got a good deal. I thought you paid $400 for the one device. And then I was like, no, no, you got shredded. Uh, um, I'm sure that it, you can find it on AliExpress for $1.50. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it it still works really well. I'll say that. It was very powerful. Yeah, so um, not the worst purchase. But that being said, next time you buy something, call me first. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, all right, cool. So I think we covered a lot in this episode, but it is Ramadan. So Ramadan Mubarak to everybody that is going to be celebrating and fasting during the month of Ramadan. And uh, shout out uh, to everybody who's now going to be partaking in intermittent fasting, which we covered on a previous episode. <laughs> Uh, because during Ramadan, you are technically intermittent fasting during that time period, which has been shown to be beneficial in conditions like psoriasis. So we'll see, uh, report back if you are going to be fasting during this month, if it benefits your skin at all. In this episode, we covered de-influencing, the TikTok ban, M-Face, and the changes that occur in your 30s. I think it's time to wrap. All right. I think it is too. We appreciate you all. Thank you so much for joining in for this one. See you in the next one. See you next time.